Good morning again. Welcome to New Community. Good morning. <clears throat> We're going to jump in and uh, dive into our last talk on the seven values. Believe it or not, we have been uh, tracking with each of the values of New Community for seven months now. Um, this is the last Sunday that we'll do it, and we've just been taking the first Sunday of every month to address a different topic. And then this morning, uh, the focus of our time is going to be on the value of generosity. Generosity, as defined by New Community, is this. Intentionally giving and sharing what we value, time and resources that matter most to us. Developing a habit of sacrificing the wants and desires of ourselves to meet the relational, physical, and spiritual needs of others. Now, <clears throat> when you talk about generosity, it is a subject that can have a lot of um, landmines, for example. Uh, let me say it this way. If we were to get up here and talk for a while about um, being missional and going and engaging in the world and helping people throughout the world and our community to learn of Jesus, there would be applause. We'd all stand up and go, oh, this is great. We've got to talk about that more. If we were to stand up and talk about knowing Jesus and really relating to him and then relating to each other within this community of faith and what does that look like to really live into being relational and contemplative and Again, there would be a lot of smiles, we'd be happy. If we were to talk about the subject of being recreational, which we talked about a couple months ago, and enjoying life and making sure you take Sabbath and resting and experiencing life the way that God intends for us to experience, then also there would be maybe even some amens that we would hear. But when you talk about generosity and you talk about this idea of giving away your time, your money, and even part of yourself, that's when it starts to get a little bit personal. It would be easy for us to just sit up here and throw around facts about generosity. For instance, Jesus speaks about money more than he speaks about the topic of heaven and hell combined. Eleven, some would say, eleven of the 39 parables talk about money. And one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke talks about money. And one of every six in the New Testament. You also hear stats that intend to guilt you into generosity. For instance, statistics show that if you make $25,000 a year, that your income ranks among the top 90th percentile of the richest people in the world. You are financially rich. Some stats point toward the fact that on average, Christians give less than 3 to 5% of their income away. And one of every four people who attend church regularly gives nothing. Now, none of this is the point. We're not here to guilt you into anything. The point is, generosity is a gospel issue. It's not a financial issue or a time issue. It's a gospel issue. So today, we want to look at generosity and truly consider what enables and fosters a spirit of generosity among a Christian people, among this community. And to get us thinking about this subject a little bit, um, because I'm kind of known for quotes, I grabbed a quote that would be helpful for us to begin to have a little discussion on. As far as quotes go, the source of this quote is a pretty good one. See, I've uh, learned over time that there is a general hierarchy toward, you know, certain people quote, you appreciate their quote more. Than other people. And the list kind of goes like Jesus being the top, then 
some followed by the Pope, you know, like depending on if you're into him or not. And then last uh, on that list, right near the top, is C.S. Lewis. And uh, so we're, we're talking uh, Christian royalty speaking here. And C.S. Lewis says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. Now, for some of you, perhaps this uh, quote has assured you of your position. Like, yes, that's right, we cannot decide. Can't figure this out at all. We just, you know, and so you just kind of go, yeah, that's right. Others of you, maybe you read that and you start asking questions going, man, I, this is raising more questions in me than it's giving me answers. So here's what we want you to do for about 30 seconds. Just with one person next to you uh, or two people around you, just tell them whether you agree with the quote, disagree with the quote, and why. Just a real quick, and, uh, and then we'll re-engage up front, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Instead of us sharing those thoughts and instead of us talking about it, what I want to do is just have you kind of tuck that away in the back of your mind for a moment. And then our hope is to begin to speak into that a little bit. And then at the end of our time together, I'm going to draw you back to that same quote, okay? When I think of uh, the word generosity, sometimes I think of a list of shoulds. Brennan Manning says, don't should on yourself. (laughs) Interesting quote. (laughs) Are you a shoulder? Here's an easy test. Count how many times you say the word should in relation to the topic of faith, relation to Jesus Christ and to other people, more than you can imagine. When we should on ourselves, we're under the belief that we aren't good enough the way we are, so we feel like we need to do more or be more. Why is that? Do we need to impress God? Do we need to earn his favor? How many of you would say that you operate out of a place of should? I know that I have. Yeah, many of us. I think it's interesting, even just walking through this process, how many times that has come out of my mouth. When we should on ourselves, we're looking for approval. God's and people's. Often when I have a day off to rest, I find myself bombarded with these thoughts of shoulds. You ever feel this way? When, like, you have a specific thing set out to do or to not do, and that's where the thoughts start coming in. Ah, I should, I should really call this person and go out to coffee. I should not turn off my phone because what if somebody needs me? I should, the list goes on. Let's get some shoulds from the audience, from you. If you were to say, I should fill in the blank. What would that look like for you? Or for the person next to you. Clean the house. Good. Read my Bible more. Excellent. Good. Go to church. Study. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Write this paper. Love my neighbor. Focus, you said? Yeah. Be still. I should slow down. Stop. Good. Good. Manning. Brennan Manning says this, 
don't you know, or did you forget to remember that God loves you as you are, not for as you should be? Freeing words, aren't they? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God loves you for who you are and not for as you should be? See, when we approach generosity from this perspective of should, where it becomes this obligation, what we do is we shift into a transactional form of generosity. Instead of generosity just flowing out of our natural self because we've been transformed from the inside, what we end up doing is making it an exchange, a transaction, something that I have to do. Now, the other day I went to the store, and on occasion what I try to do when I'm going through the checkout line is uh, I try to be relational, I try to talk, I try to get to know the person, say their name, maybe ask a question or two, and the lady that I was doing this with wasn't having it. I mean, like, her eyes were telling me that, hey, listen, buddy, I don't know if you know how this works, but you pay me, I give you product, you walk away, okay? And that's sometimes how we want generosity to be. We just want it to be this exchange, this thing that we do. Um, and when we make it transactional, I think what often happens is we make it about us. I give something to get something. It's kind of how it goes. This is where consumer compassion has gained such a foothold. All right, consumer compassion. I get shoes to give shoes. I get glasses to give glasses. I decide I want a really cool t-shirt. I spend $30 on it when it's really only worth $20 so that $10 goes to Africa. I know I wouldn't just give $10 to Africa, but I would get the cool shirt, and then they'd do it for me. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not like trying to bash on consumer compassion. But what I am saying is this. It often makes our generosity about us. It makes our generosity where we're purchasing something that benefits me. came across the quote this week. I was looking through um, some books, and, and here's what it says. It is easy and desperately wrong to reduce giving to the transaction of exchanging money, time, and talents for goodwill and the contented feeling of having given generously. Transactional giving seeks to purchase for ourself a peace of mind. Our generosity should not flow out of shoulds or transactions, but from a generous spirit, a spirit that recognizes that it was the one who received first. There's a story that Jesus tells about a lost thing that was found. a story about how the taker was the recipient. It's a story about generosity. If you have your Bibles today, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. But before we dive into the story, let me ask you this. In your heart of hearts, in your heart of hearts, do you really believe that God is a giver? Or do you think that he is a taker? I want you to really consider in your day-to-day life whether you really believe that. 
And I know some of you are going, whoa, 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 Rochelle, I know that God is a giver, but when it really comes down to it, every single day, do you have a feeling, maybe even perhaps, that God is withholding something from you? According to the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of all man is to glorify God. That our sole purpose in existing, mine and yours, is to glorify him. I believe this is true. But I also think that some of us believe in order for God to get glory from us, he must first take it. Listen, God doesn't need to take anything from me or you to receive glory. To get glory, he has to give. God is a giver. He gave. I think we need healing over our belief systems. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need to take something from me in order to receive glory. But that he gives so that we can participate in his generosity. Right? He is the one that gave. We first received. In the story of the prodigal son, we see uh, the introduction of a family. We see a father and his two sons. The younger son, we see him asking up front his father for his inheritance. We see him running off to a distant country, and there it says that he squandered his inheritance in reckless living. He squandered it. The father's response to the son is what I really want to focus on. It's found in Luke 15, 20 to 22, if you want to read this with me. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. I love this part. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a gorgeous picture of a father's love. What a gorgeous picture of generosity. That even while we still take from God, that he still gives. That the father was more concerned about, I mean, he had compassion over him. He was more concerned about sending his servants out to, to lavish his son with things than he was about really listening to what came out of his son's mouth. It's beautiful. Every one of us has misused what God has given us. We have all squandered what he has entrusted to us on some level. We know in Romans it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know in 1 John that it says, If anyone thinks he has not sinned, he is a liar. He is being deceived. Generosity is a reminder of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder of what he did on the cross for us. We switch gears to money just for a moment. I would like to suggest that how we spend our money directly reflects how we or what we believe. 
For instance, if I say, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. Or if you said that to me, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Then I would say, well, how generous are you? You might say, well, what does money have to do with my spirituality? I'm suggesting that it has everything to do with your spirituality. If you believe God is gracious, you will be gracious. If you believe that God is a giver, you will give. If you believe that God helps people, you'll help people. Not because you should. Friends, it's because you get to. It's because that's how he has treated you. That's how he has treated me. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by you his poverty might become rich. See, what distinguishes Jesus from other false gods of the world is that they take, they take, but Jesus gives. When we model what Christ did for us, we're living out of a true understanding that we were first the recipients In fact, when we are generous, we couldn't be more like the Father. It's really a a gospel issue. So understanding God as giver helps us transition from this have-to mindset to get to. It's a mindset where we participate in the generosity of God. Now, when we see God as giver... As Rochelle said, it shifts us from this idea of have to to a place where we participate. Here's what I mean. Generosity is really about partnership. It's really a participation in what God is doing. In uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 145, it makes this statement. David is describing and declaring the goodness of God. He's talking about all that God does on our behalf. And he says right in the middle of the psalm, Open your hand, you open your hand, describing God, and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The message version translates it this way. Generous to a fault, you lavish your favor on all creatures. So what David is saying in this passage is that this one God, this three-in-one, unique, amazing community... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's describing this God as a generous, giving God who pours out favor on all things. On us, on animals, on everything. He pours out his favor and his blessing on everything we see. What's interesting is when you think of the Trinity, you begin to talk about this idea of three in one in this unique community. One of the words you often use is the word koinonia. A koinonia describes this fellowship, but koinonia also means to participate. So in essence, what is happening is our generosity, my generosity, your generosity becomes a participation with God in His generosity toward us. That's a pretty amazing thing if you think about it. 
that my role or responsibility isn't to try to manufacture generosity. It isn't try to um, do something unique apart from God, but it's me meeting a need because God will already meet that need regardless of whether I'm a part of it. Sometimes we think that it requires us in order to meet the need, and what God is saying is, listen, I'm the one pouring out favor and blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights. You just get to participate in it. You get to join me in this work. So generosity is really an opportunity to partner with God. It's an opportunity to take part in some amazing thing that God is pouring out on us. So the question we're going to wrap up with is this. So how do we live into this idea of participation? How do we participate in God's generosity? One of the ways that we participate in allowing our lives is by allowing it to become a life of generosity. It becomes a life of habit. It's easy for us to view our values as opportunities to just check off a list. So, for instance, we could take our value cards and look at the seven values that we've been talking about over the last seven months and, and scroll down and say, missional. Went on a missions trip. Check. Contemplative. Had quiet time. Check. Hospitality. Oh, invited people over for the Super Bowl. Check. Which I think is a really good idea, by the way. But I think this leads us to values as one-off. Instead of seeing it as my very life, instead of seeing it flow out of the very essence of who I am, we can turn it into this, this checklist thing. Sometimes our shoulds, our list of shoulds, end up driving us towards performance, end up driving us to function out of a place of guilt. This mentality allows then guilt to become a part of the process. So guilt then drives us towards sin. Guilt drives us towards making ourselves better. Guilt drives us towards fixing ourselves. This is places me fulfilling values through a checklist versus allowing it to just be a part of who I am. I mean, our culture doesn't help, does it? It's absolutely performance-based. It sets us up to perform. You must achieve. I mean, the American ideal is about being the best. It's the idea that I can never attain what I am supposed to do. plays a big part in how I then view my spiritual life. These aren't checkboxes or highlights of our life. It's, it's the very essence of who we are because we're following the generosity of God. We're either moving toward generosity in our life or we're moving away from it. We're either becoming more of a giver or we're a taker, or even just holding on to what we have, I think is another way to put it. So generosity is not about this to-do list or this one-off thing we do, but it's rather about a lifestyle. It's something that we, tr that we practice so that it becomes a habit for us.
Michel said, the, the goal is for it to just become a natural overflow of who you are because of who God is in you. That it just becomes this habit that I see a need, I meet a need. And I don't think twice about it because it just comes. But I also know that in reality, sometimes it doesn't just flow and we actually need to make a choice. And for some of us, maybe that's where it starts. That I make a choice, I choose to be generous. And then as I choose to be generous, then ultimately I just become generous. Generosity can be a choice. In Isaiah 32.8 it says this, But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. Now notice what it says. It, it doesn't just say that a generous man goes about just naturally doing generous things. A generous man also devises. He thinks about it. He puts a plan together. He makes a choice. That we can actually develop a habit of generosity or lifestyle of generosity by simply making a choice to be generous. Just recently, um, Brent Hendricks, one of my friends, sent me this video. And it was called The Generosity Experiment. I don't know if you have watched this video. I think it's a TED Talk. And uh, just interesting perspective. He's talking about nonprofit giving. He's talking about just his lifestyle of giving and what that looks like. And then... He, um, <clears throat> he begins to talk about his own personal life. Right in the middle of this TED Talk, he starts describing how he was not a person of generosity, even though he worked for this nonprofit that was all about generosity. And so he starts describing how that on his way to work, he'd ride the train into the city, and uh, individuals would come up to him and ask him for things, whether it was for money or for a time or for favor or for some act of generosity, and he found himself saying on a regular basis, no. That his natural default reaction to being asked for generosity was no. And he started re recalling this idea that, you know what, a, a big part of me is no. In fact, I probably say no nine out of every ten times. And so he puts up on the screen behind him this list of like nine or ten no's, and then one yes. And he said, you know what, Th this is my life. I've begun to look like a set of no's, and I say no, and I say no, and I say no, and then every now and then it might just prick me a certain way, and I respond with yes. He said, and I started to evaluate my life, and I started realizing my no's were adding up. And so he showed another slide that just revealed again and again that these no's continue to come. And he became a person that would have been defined as being a no. And when you ask me, my general default reaction will be no. And he realized that if he was going to make a choice, if he was going to choose a habit to be different, to have it become a lifestyle, then he needed to make a choice. So his choice was for 30 days to do an experiment. Whoever asked him for anything, he would give it. Or he'd give as much of it as he could. And for 30 days, every time he's on the train, someone asks, he gave. He sees someone at the store, they say, hey, can you help me with something? Absolutely. He'd go help. Whatever it was that was asked of him, for 30 days, he said yes. Now, it certainly presented challenges for him. But what he began to notice is that his default reaction 
became one of yes rather than no. That he be, became a person that would be defined as being generous. Now, it's still a work in progress, he says. And just like for all of us, I think generosity is a work in progress. It's something that where we see the generosity of God and then we slowly become more and more generous like him. So at the beginning, we read off a C.S. Lewis quote. It says this, I'll remind you of it. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. Now here's the honest part of what I'm about to say. We left off the rest of the quote. The rest of the quote goes to say this. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Our question this morning to all of us, including ourselves, is this. Are you a person that when generosity is asked of you, that your natural reaction is yes? Because I'm convinced that God as giver reminds us that we need to make the choice to develop a habit that sees generosity as just something that naturally flows. And when the opportunity comes, it's met with a yes. Let's pray.